new series starts today, When You Pray, The Art of Persistent Communion. My name is Brent Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here and just excited for the next two weeks to go after a topic of prayer. And uh, man, just what a morning already, right? Just being in God's house, getting to worship together, getting to see God working in the lives of his people. It just kind of reminds us that there's like something so much bigger than our little uh, world that we maybe live in or had walked through throughout the week. And uh, there's something about watching an artist at work, right? And uh, even in that video, you see a painter kind of using their skill and being able to translate creativity through um, a medium and create something that didn't exist before they got there. And uh, I think that's just such an awesome thing, whether it's, you know, a painter to an actor to an athlete to a tradesman, people kind of being able to use something and create something just kind of stirs something in your soul. And then you kind of think about people who have mastered their craft, right? Like the people who are renowned for what they do, like they get invited to dine with kings and queens. Like the world will literally like kind of stop and recognize those people. And uh, as you think about their life and what brought them to that moment, you realize that these kind of grandiose moments in their career is not the entirety of them as an artist, Like, yeah, they might have these bursts of magnificent moments, like the player hitting the game-winning shot or the artist having their masterpiece hung in a gallery or the actor accepting the award for their outstanding performance. But really, those moments are the sum total of their life as an artist. They never stopped being an artist. It never ends for them. And what I want to do over the next two weeks in this series is show you that prayer is very much like this. And while not all of us um, have great art within us that we could put out, don't ask me to draw you a picture, it's not going to go well. All of us in the room as believers in Jesus Christ have bestowed upon us this art of prayer. And it is even required of us when the indwelling Holy Spirit is in us. And prayer, this life of prayer, is not found in like confined moments. Like when you come to church and you bow your head and pray, that doesn't make you a person who prays. Rather, it's the very life and daily practice of every person who says that they follow Jesus Christ that shows you are an artist in prayer. It is woven into the fabric of your being. You never truly stop praying when you really understand what prayer is. And whenever I think about the idea of talking about prayer, there comes a moment where I'm like, well, how much can we really say before we just need to pray? (laughs) But I do think it is important to, to kind of stop and take a look at this practice, this discipline, the art of prayer. And as we've moved through the book of John, we're jumping over chapters 15 and 16 because we're saving those for a standalone series on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get to John 17, which is one of the most powerful prayers that Jesus ever prayed, really one of his last public prayers over his disciples and really over us as the church, called the High Priestly Prayer. 
And as we approached that chapter in our plan, and we knew that we wanted to, to call our church to pray more. We wanted to, to take a series and say, man, prayer is a huge, huge thing in the life of a follower of Christ. And I think as we got there, it became clear that we first needed to stop and take a look at how do we actually pray? So we're going to press the pause button on John and jump over to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there now. Both the Gospel of Matthew and Luke record the most widely used and quoted prayers from the Bible, known commonly as the Lord's Prayer. They're both two different instances of the same verbiage and pattern of prayer happening at two different points, but we're going to look at Luke's account in chapter 11. And the thing that's interesting to me is that Jesus had no intention for this prayer to be a scripted, quoted, word-by-word prayer that people would use. Rather, it is more of a mnemonic device. It is something he gave as a pattern of prayer to his disciples. In the original language, these words actually rhymed. So it was a poem for his disciples to be able to remember, how do I pray? So when you pray today, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. We're going to take a very practical look at how to center your life around prayer and engage in the art of persistent communion. I read a book this week by a man named Pete Gregg. Um, He's a wild and charismatic follower of Jesus Christ who has an amazing prayer life, truly an artist in prayer. He founded the 24-7 prayer movement, which has spread all over the world and is on the front lines of pursuing revival in the church as believers cry out to God all day, every day in prayer rooms around the world. He recently released a book called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And in a God-ordained moment, as I um, researched this week and came across this book, I believe it was a, a cool moment for the Lord to put it in my hands I'm not lying when I say that it has revolutionized the way I see prayer. Other books have done this for me as well throughout the years, Practicing His Presence by Brother Lawrence, um, which Pete actually quotes in the book somewhat, and all of these things. But this kind of came to a point for a guy when I approached a series on prayer who said, you know what, I am not the leading expert on prayer. I think we all, uh, maybe I won't say all, but the vast majority of us in the room as believers and Christians know that we should pray. We have this kind of heartache knowing that our prayer life is not all that it could and should be. We want more in prayer. We want more from prayer, but sometimes we just don't know what to do. So when I saw a book that said, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People, I said, that's right up my alley. And as I read it, it challenged me. It challenged me theologically, intellectually, physically, emotionally, and definitely spiritually in how I view and how I approach prayer. So I highly recommend that you read it. But I also know that we live in a world and a culture that is content overload. Everyone's always telling you to read this book, listen to this podcast, watch this show, and at some point you're finally like, I don't have the time or the energy to do all this. I have a stack of books a mile high. I don't need another book in it. And so while I 
can guess that there might be a couple people in the room who say, you know, I'll read it. And they're readers, they'll grab the book and they'll, they'll blaze through it. There's probably a good chunk of you that won't read it, and that's fine. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to rob <laughs> Mr. Brother Pete Gregg's outline of prayer. So Pete, if you ever watch this, I love you. Thank you for gifting this to me this week. But the reason I want to do that is because it's an amazing model for how we should pray, and it's based on the Lord's Prayer. It's an easy acronym of pray. Now, I'm not a huge fan of acronyms. They can sometimes come across a little trite, a little cheesy, like, man, you're trying really hard to make that into something. Um, but I do think it, it can be a helpful thing in your life, a model, a pattern that you can go back to again and again. And there's a famous acronym already around prayer that maybe you've heard of before. Have you ever heard of ACTS when it comes to prayer? Raise your hand if you've heard of ACTS in prayer. All right, a lot of us. Maybe it was CATS for you, but same words, all right? What does it stand for? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which does anybody really know what supplication means? When was the last time you used the word supplication in a normal sentence? Probably not for a long time. But when we come to that uh, acronym of ACTS, we use it all the time. And so it's not bad. I'm not saying that we should be done with this, but it does require a little further explanation to kind of Joe Screwdriver from the street, right? If you were to tell him, hey, I want you to engage in supplication, he might look at you a little weird. So this one is pray. The word is pray, and the first letter, P, is for pause. Look at Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray... There's a couple important things that I want us to pick up here. The first is that Jesus was praying in a certain place. This was not an abnormal thing for him. He often withdrew from his surroundings and went to a place to pray. He often climbed mountains to meet with his father. The other significant thing is this was a regular occurrence for Jesus. He often did it before or after significant moments of ministry The feeding of the 5,000, the choosing of his 12 disciples, the healing of massive amounts of sick people, he would pray. And so this is not a new thing. He did this all the time. And finally his disciples say, hey, teach us to pray. So we have to understand that the rhythm of Jesus to pray is to step outside of what is in front of him, to pause And to enter into a certain place. He said to his disciples, when you pray, not if, not when you feel like it and you pray, but when you pray. It's an expectation that this would be a part of your life. That's really where we got the title of the series. That it would be an expectation over the life of someone who claims Jesus Christ that you would pray. So for that to be true, you have to first pause stop to be able to start and you need to find a place now I have three kids at home um, Mason who is five Jackson is two and a half and Lyric who is coming up on five months old and when I think about places in my house where I can find seclusion 
it is not accurate. Whenever a door closes in my house, it's like a magnet for a kid to, dad, 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 dad. I can't even go to the bathroom without someone handing me a toy or asking me a question, right? And so when I think about having a place in my home where I could go at 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning and just have like uninterrupted prayer time, it's just not going to happen. So I have had to find a place, and that place is before 7 a.m. at my dining room table. Before anybody else is awake, I sit at this table, and it's a, it's a great spot because uh, it has a window that the sun rises in that window. So I, ha- I sit there, I have a cup of coffee and my Bible and a journal, and I just, that's my place. I spend time with the Lord. Now, that can't always happen for me. It's not... Um, you know, kind of in the rhythms of my week, I might have some early things in the morning, and so I'll be out. And so my car has become a phenomenal place for me to meet with the Lord. About a year ago, I stopped listening to the radio. And as a musician, people kind of treated me weird with this, right? They'd get in my car and we'd be driving, and they'd be like, dude, it's so quiet. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I stopped listening to music as I drive. And sometimes I'll listen to audiobooks or I'll listen to a song as an act of worship, but I, I just kind of stopped with this, the mindless, I just need noise at all times. I committed to the silence of driving in my car and I found that I could turn my thoughts to the Lord and have a private conversation with him, sometimes out loud, which looks really funny at stoplights, I'm sure. But I would talk to the Lord and that was a place, my car kind of became this place for me. The other place is my office. You know, sometimes I'll show up before anybody else is there and I have these two chairs and a little table and you know, I'll settle myself in and, and I'll just spend time with the Lord and I have, a, I have a rug laid out on the floor and sometimes I just get face down on that rug because it's a lot more comfortable than the carpet and and that's just when I walk into my office now and I see this little corner, I know that that's what happens in that space. I would encourage you to find a certain place. If you think that it will just come naturally, that, oh, when I have time in my day, when I um, get around to it, maybe someday, unless you set a designated place, a designated time that you're going to meet with the Lord, it's just not going to happen. You have to pause whether it be your car, whether it's a workbench in their garage, a rocking chair by a window. Susanna Wesley, famously known as the mother of Methodism, she was the mother of Charles and John Wesley. She had a very hard life. She was married to a penniless preacher who kind of disregarded his family. Their house burned down twice. She lost nine children in infancy and raised ten more by herself. She had no room or closet to escape to for prayer. And so certain times throughout the day, she would lift her apron over her head and her kids would know that mom's praying and they shouldn't disturb her. And she prayed powerful prayers that to this day are still impacting through her sons and and others that they have discipled. She had a place. Find your place, whether it's an apron or an actual room pause and go to the place. The next letter R is for rejoice. Verse 2, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. The next step after you have paused to start in the art of prayer is to worship, to rejoice, to recognize that you are not the most significant person in the conversation. As we begin to quiet ourselves and think about the Lord, we come face to face with the reality of his majesty. I wonder if you have ever found yourself staring up at a night sky 
full of stars and just kind of overwhelmed by it all. Or if you stood at the shore of a beach on the ocean and kind of looked out at it and just realized how insignificant and small you were compared to the vastness of what stood before you. Our souls, our very beings are starkly aware that there is a creator and he's worthy of worship. Same way a horse gallops, a salmon leaps, an eagle soars, you were made to worship. As we pause, the psalmist calls us to be still and then what? Know that I am God. That knowing part pushes us to worship the God who created us and everything before us. And it's easy to to want to skip over this part. It's easy to see our Father, hallowed be your name, as kind of the contrite salutation at the start of our prayer. But instead, see as an acknowledgement of who is actually in the room with you. The author tells this story in the book, and I related to it so well. There's been many times where I come home, and whether it's been you know a few days uh, late at work where I haven't really seen my kids, or, or a trip that has taken me away for uh, a week on end, and I'll I'll come home and I'll approach the door and I'll hear the commotion of my boys on the other side of the door. And as I open the door, I'll be greeted with requests. Dad, what'd you bring me? Dad, what are we having for dinner? Dad, I want a snack. Dad, can we wrestle? And while that's great, there's always a part of me that's kind of like, yeah, hey, nice to see you too. Missed ya. I'm glad that we're together right now, right? I just want to be greeted. And Mason, my oldest, he's, he kind of gets it. And he'll do this little thing. We'll shuffle over and be like, da, da. And he'll like give me a hug around the legs and say that he missed me. And then he'll look up at me and goes, I want a snack, right? It's like right back to the request. And I want to grant those requests. I want to meet his needs because I'm his dad, right? I want that. But it's kind of nice just to know that he said, hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're in the room. Spend time thanking God for just being in the room. Acknowledging the power of his presence, the miracle of his majesty, the greatness of his grace, and the wonder of his works. You can spend a lifetime in prayer just thanking God for who he is. Next letter, we get to the A, and this is the one we're really good at. Ask. Prayer means a lot of things to a lot of different people, but at the simplest form, it is asking for help. Back to the text, he says, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. The word ask includes both petition and intercession. Petition is asking for ourselves. Give us each day our daily bread. And intercession is asking for others. Your kingdom come. Do your will. Petition is the easiest one for us to get to in prayer because it's, hey God, here's all of my needs. Now our job in prayer is to kind of cipher what is actually a need and what is a want. This daily bread, give us this day our daily bread, harkens back to when the Lord provided manna for the Israelites in the desert. He would give them just enough to make it through the day. And if they tried to stockpile or save any, it would mold. They would have maggots on it by the next day. Why? 
Because God wanted them to know that he was the provider, that he would give them enough to get through exactly what they needed to get through, and then he would provide again. It wasn't dependent on them and their strength and what they could do. It was all dependent upon the Lord. And I believe God wants us to do this again in prayer. I don't think it's wrong to ask about future things. Hey, God, someday I'd love to meet that spouse that I'm supposed to marry God. It'd be really nice to get in a better house someday or get that job that I've always wanted. I'd love to get into that school. But God is in the business of providing and meeting your needs daily. Your daily bread. There's a story of George Mueller, a 19th century philanthropist and pastor who cared for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime and educated 120,000 children. And what's more incredible about his ministry is that he did all of it without fundraising or making any of his needs publicly known. Rather, he went to the Lord in prayer daily and asked the Lord to provide exactly what he needed for that day. And there's this account of him standing before 300 orphans gathered for breakfast. And he stands up in front of them to pray for the meal, knowing full well that there is no food in the kitchen to feed these kids. And he prays and he thanks the Lord for the food they're about to receive. And immediately there's a at the door. And the local baker walks in carrying three trays full of bread. And he explains, I've been up since two in the morning baking this for you because the Lord told me to. A moment later, the local milkman walks in going, hey, my cart just broke down outside. I have all this fresh milk I need to get rid of. Could you guys use it? And so 300 orphans got their daily bread that morning and washed it down with creamy milk because of the prayers of George Mueller. Daily bread. They would never see that prayer the same again. Sometimes... I think there's a problem that we don't want to ask God for daily things or kind of the little things because we just don't think they matter. I had breakfast with a friend this week and we were talking about prayer and he said there was this kind of idea around prayer that has stuck with him for a long time, that if there's something too little or too big for you to bring to God, then you think too much about yourself. That God, that who are you to decide that God does or doesn't care about the things in your life? I often have seen prayer in my life as like the big red emergency button, right? That when the world is in crisis, when, you know, things are a catastrophe is happening or the plane is going down, that's when it's okay to ask God for help because it's actually worth his time. But what I'm realizing as I lean into this is that if all you do is pray for the big things, the huge things, then you get to be grateful sometimes when it happens. But if you start praying for everything, sometimes even the inevitable thing, like give us this day our daily bread and I can walk down to Holiday and buy a loaf of it for 80 cents. Give us this day our daily bread. When you start praying for the things that God will just keep supplying in your life, you get to be grateful all the time. You're constantly in a state of gratitude to the Lord for what he is providing for you. So ask And there's a deep sense of alignment and gratitude that comes from petition. But there's an obligation to everyone in the room today to practice intercession for others. To not just pray for yourself and your needs, but rather to pray for others. And intercession is something we join in with the work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ himself. 
Look at these verses from Romans chapter 8 on the screen. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And in verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's a great work to be a part of. The groanings of creation, it says. The sons of man looking for the, the hope of Jesus Christ. And then you have the Holy Spirit groaning. And we can join in that, crying out to the Lord. And sometimes we excuse intercession um, with kind of this idea that, well, God, God is sovereign. So if God's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway, what does, it, what does it matter if I pray about it? And sometimes people will say that to me are the same people who wear their lucky jersey and scream at their TV because they think it makes an out, impact on the outcome of the game. But it can feel like that maybe sometimes in your prayer when you're interceding for others, praying about these things that, man, I just don't see how this is helping at all. What, am I, what is me praying about it going to actually do? But I want to let you know that there is a tension all throughout Scripture of God's sovereignty and intercessory prayer. Two instances for certain with Moses. There's this moment where Moses comes down from meeting with the Lord on the mountain and all the Israelites are worshiping a golden calf. And Moses is pretty upset, but God's even more upset. And he literally says to Moses, get out of the way so I can consume them. I'm done with them. I'll give you a new nation. And Moses intercedes. He begs God to change his mind. And God relents. Seemingly, prayer changed the mind of God. I think the bigger picture for that is the fact that God's holiness met sin. And in the gap stood Moses saying, you know what, God, please. The same way Jesus Christ stood in the middle, stood in the gap for you and for me to make a way for us so that grace would come through. Where we should have received wrath. Later, the Israelites are at war, and whenever Moses had his hands lifted in worship to the Lord, the Israelites would prevail, but when they started to droop, the enemy would overcome them. And so here's Moses standing all throughout the day with his hands lifted, and when he became too physically weak to even hold up his own hands, he had men stand underneath and hold his hands up as an act of intercession to the Lord, begging God to do it, and God did it. God works through the prayers of his people. Any great revival, you trace it back to where it began and there was always an amazing work of prayer among his people. Your kingdom come. But we have to ask. And lastly, we have to yield. And the author advises, when you're teaching this to kids, just swap that word out with yes. As the same effect. Are you willing to give God your yes? Are you willing to yield yourself to the Lord? Verse 4 says, And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. 
and lead us not into temptation. The final step in the art of prayer is surrender. Here's a quote from the book. He describes yielding as, it's a clenched fist slowly opening, an athlete lowering themselves into an ice bath, a field of California poppies turning toward the sun. To yield is to embrace God's presence here on earth as it is in heaven. Realizing that we need him and his word as our daily bread to lead us and to guide us. It's understanding how our sin gets in the way of true communion. How we need to consistently claim the blood of Jesus Christ over our lives. And that leads us to confess any sin admitting our weaknesses and then realizing how much we have been forgiven, in turn, we cannot help but to forgive those who have sinned against us. If we truly understand forgiveness, if we yield ourselves to the grace of Jesus Christ, it has to pour out onto the person next to you. If you struggle with forgiveness, you struggle with being forgiven. And when we pray, we begin to see that there's much more going on than just the physical. That there is a spiritual war being fought for our souls. Scripture says that your enemy, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone whom he can devour. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation. Really, God, keep us away from the traps of the enemy. Give us eyes to see where the war is actually being fought in our lives. That it's not in this fight with my wife. It's not in the way I just snapped at my kids. It's not in the way I view that other person and look down upon them. Really, it is in my heart. It is the battle for my soul. Lead us not into temptation. And I yield to your authority in my life. To call these things out. And the yielding doesn't end in your place, right? You walk out of that place where you meet with the Lord, where you've paused and you've rejoiced and you've asked and now you've yielded. And the yielding continues in every moment. And really this is how when Paul describes unceasing prayer, to pray without ceasing, this is how it's done. It's walking through life, understanding like Jesus did, that there is so much more than what's just in front of you. It's thanking God for the parking spot. Would you have gotten the parking spot if you hadn't have prayed for it? Don't know, don't care. Get to be really grateful when it's there. It's thanking God for the work that he's going to do, believing in faith as you intercede for others and then watching as miracles happen. Would it have happened without you praying? Don't know. Don't think we should care. I think we should pray. If it lets you walk like Jesus walked in constant communion with his Father, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This is what it looks like when we pray. So I want to take time to do that right here in our service. In God's house, which Jesus was adamant should remain a house of prayer, 
Sometimes it's easy for us to leave the praying to pastors and leaders because we feel ill-equipped to do so. But I hope this morning you have seen that you are called, you are invited to participate in this incredible thing that is actually a part of who you are. So for the next few minutes, I'd ask you to pause, rejoice, ask, and yield in prayer. And we'll close our service out shortly here in a few minutes, but I just want to give you the space to pray. You can pray out loud. You can pray in the seat you're in. You can stand and move to somewhere else. But let's not miss an opportunity to commune with Jesus, to pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. Let's pray, church, right now.